Hello and welcome to Monday Murder Meal, a subgroup of Truck Stop Murder or sub show Truck Stop Murder, which is every Monday I'll talk to you about three death row inmates and their last meals. And today I'm bringing you these meals or these three scumbags from Waddy, Kentucky. I'm at the Flying J Waddy, Kentucky right now doing a reset and on my way to Midway, Tennessee. But I was out of hours, so doing a reset and leaving tomorrow morning on my way there. But yeah, cold and rainy, Waddy, Kentucky. But yeah, if you're if you return listener, thank you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, on this I go over three death row inmates. It was from Texas originally, but I think I'm going to just go around the United States. And no reason to be limited to Texas, even though I'm from Texas, and Texas loves killing people. But on this, I'm going to go around the United States. I'm going to talk a little short history about them and about what they did and also their last meal. And if they have any final statements recorded, I'm going to do that as well. I'm going to try to find the weirdest last meals I could find. But basically just three meals and their three found, you know, inmates who are executed by their state and their final meal. So without further ado, also... As always, please share, rate, review, wherever you listen to with this. Let's try to build this. I'm trying to build, you know, get a five, I'm on my 50th episode. Actually, technically 48. This will be my 49. I have a couple reviews. But, yeah, please share, rate, share with friends if anything. But let's get on with our first one. We're talking about Velma Bearfield. On, she was, was an American serial killer who was convicted of one murder but eventually confessed to six murders in total. Barefield, Barfield, I guess, I don't, I'm saying Barefield, but it's probably Barfield, B-A-R-F-I-E-L-D, was the first woman in the United States to be executed at the 1976, you know, resurrection, where they started doing capital punishment again, and the first since 1962. She was the first woman to be executed by lethal injection when it was reinstated. Velma Barefield was born in rural South Carolina, but was raised near Faithfield, North Carolina, right there by Fort Bragg, where I spent six years of my life at. Barefield's father reportedly was physically abusive, and her mother, Lillian Bullard, did not intervene. She escaped by marrying, she escaped this by marrying Thomas Burke. The couple had two children and were reportedly happy until Barefield was, had a hysterectomy and developed back pain. These events led to a behavior change in Barfield and eventual drug addiction. Burke began to drink and Barfield complaints turned into bitter arguments. On April 4, 1969, after Burke was passed out, Barfield and his children left the house. And when they returned, they found the structure burnt and Burke dead. In 1970, Barfield married a widower, Jennings Barfield, less than a year after their marriage. Jennings died on March 22, 1971, from heart complications. 1974, Lillian Bullard, Barfield's mother, showed symptoms of intense diarrhea, vomiting, and nausea, only to fully recover a few days. During the Christmas season of the same year, Bullard experienced the same earlier illnesses, but died in the hospital a few hours after being admitted on December 30, 1974. In 1976, Velma Barfield began caring for the elderly. 
working for Montgomery and Dolly Edwards. Montgomery fell ill and died on March 29, 1977. A little over a month after the death of her husband, Dolly experienced identical symptoms of Bullard and died on March 1st. Barch later confessed to later latter deaths. Following year, Barfield, I want to keep calling her Bearfield for some reason, I don't know why, Barfield took another caretaking job with the, this time for 76-year-old Record Lee. That's what they got the name down. I had I couldn't looked it up. I couldn't find, but yeah, Record Lee, who had broken her leg on June 4th, 1977. Lee's husband, John Harry, began experiencing racketing pain in his stomach and chest, along with vomiting and diarrhea. He died soon afterwards, and Barfield later confessed to his murder. After victim, another victim was Roland Stewart Taylor, Barfield's boyfriend and a relative of Dolly Edwards. Fearing he had discovered she had been forged, you know, fearing that he had discovered she had been forging checks on his account, Barfield mixed an arsenic-based rat poison into his beer and tea. He died February 3rd, 1978, while he was trying to nurse him back to health. An autopsy found arsenic in Taylor's system. After the arrest, the body of Jennings was exhumed and found had traces of arsenic and a murder for Bearfield. Wait, let me start again. Arsenic, traces of arsenic, a murder that Bearfield denied having committed. Although she subsequently confessed to the murders of Bullard, Dolly, and John Henry Lee, she was tried and convicted for the murder of Taylor. And so, while in prison, matter of fact, singer-songwriter Jonathan Bird is the grandson of Jennings and and his first wife. His song, Velma, was from the Wildflowers albums, gives a personal account of the murders and investigation, which I'm going to listen to, see how that sounds like, probably older. But yeah, Barfield was in prison, in central prison in Raleigh, North Carolina, in the area for escape-prone prisoners and mentally ill prisoners as there was no designated area for women under death, you know, they still haven't had no area for women for death sentences at the time where they would go. At the time, the state's only female death row inmate. A death row unit for female inmates in North Carolina was established at the North Carolina Correctional Institute for Women, so they finally built one. During the stay on death row, Barfield became a devout Christian, as they always do, and her last few years was spent ministering to prisoners for which she received praise by Billy Graham. Barfield, involved in Christian ministry, was attentive to the point at the effort to made obtain a community. Wait, and I'm talking, and I say this all the time. I read my notes too fast and get ahead of myself. So Barfield's involvement in Christian ministry was extensive to the point that an effort was made to commune her to life prison. A second basis for the appeal was the testimony of Dorothy uh, Dorothy Lewis, professional professor of psychiatry in New York University School of Medicine and author of Violent Behavior who claimed that Barfield suffered from this, this identity, identity disorder, D-I-S-S-O-C, decisive identity disorder. Lewis testified that she had been speak, speak, she had spoken to Barfield's other personality, Billy, who told her, so she has two people, 
who told her that Velma had been a victim of sexual abuse and that Billy had killed her abuser. The judge was unconvinced. One of them did it, Lewis quoted him saying, I don't care which one, but one of you did it, and you all are the same person. After Barfield's appeal was denied in federal court, he was instructed attorneys to abandon the further appeal for U.S. Supreme Court. Barfield was executed November 2nd, 1984 at Central Prison. To release a statement before execution, I know that everybody's gone through a lot of pain. All the families connected, I am sorry, and I want to thank everybody who have been supporting me for all these six years. And her last meal. Let's talk about her last meal. Barfield choose her choice for her last meal was cheese doodles, which is like Cheetos and Coca-Cola. <laughs> Barfield was buried in a small rural North Carolina cemetery near her husband, buried after she killed him, Thomas Burke. So yeah, last meal was cheese doodles and a Coca-Cola. Ain't that something? Went to the execution with that cheese dust that's on her fingers. So maybe we'll see. So let's go with our second scumbag of the day. We're going with Victor Fuger. Victor Fuger was convicted murder and the last federal inmate executed in the United States before the mandatorium, the moratorium, M-O-R-A-T-O-I-U-M, of the death penalty following Furman. So he was the last person executed before they stopped this. And the last person to put to death by the state of Ohio, Iowa. Well, the time the news paid little attention to Victor Furger, Furger until Timothy McVeigh was executed renewal of this case. So let's talk about this individual. Fager was a drifter native to the state of Michigan. In the summer of 1960, he arrived in Iowa, renting a room in a decrepit boarding house. Soon after arriving, Fager began phoning physicians alphabetically from the local Yellow Pages and found Dr. Edward Bartels. Fager claimed that a woman needed medical attention when Dr. Dr. Bartles arrived, Figure kidnapped and killed him in Illinois. Bartles' body was found in a cornfield there with a single gunshot wound to the head. A few days later, Figure was arrested in Birmingham, Alabama, after trying to sell the Dr. Bartles' car to James B. Alford, who tipped off the FBI. Alford later told a local newspaper he suspected Figure was a crook because he had an out-of-state car with no title papers. Authorities believe that Fager had kidnapped the doctor in order to gain access to any drugs that he may have carried to treat patients because Fager transported his hostages across state lines. Federal charges were filed against, against him. In this defense, Fager claimed that a drug ad addict from Chicago whom Fager met in, in Iowa, had actually murdered the doctor. Fager claimed that he killed a drug addict and dumped his body into the Mississippi River. However, authorities could not find any evidence of, of this person even existed. Fager was tried and convicted of, in federal court for these crimes. He was sentenced to death. Fager submitted appeals, of course, at the point only where John F. Kennedy could, you know, commit, you know, commute his uh, life death sentence. 
Iowa Governor Harold Hughes, a death penalty opponent, along with Fager's attorney, contacted Kennedy to request clemency for him. Kennedy thought the crime was so brutal that he denied his request. So, what were his last his last meal? Listen to this. So he was well actually Vector was held at the federal penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas. He was taken back to Iowa because Leavenworth had not set up a you know air, was not performing executions at the time. So March fifth, nineteen sixty three, Fager was taken to the Iowa State Penitentiary, penitentiary at Fort Madison, Iowa, was placed in the state death row two way execution. He remained there for the next ten days until his execution was carried out. He spent those ten days quietly guards said he was a model prison. So anyhow, let's see what his last meal was. So for his last meal, listen to this. You, some of y'all, if you get into the, the true crime or everything, you probably heard of this one already. Fager did not want anything fancy. In fact, his request was not, he was, he was not given, his last request was not even a real meal. He wanted was a single olive with pits still in it. He told guards that he hoped the olive tree would sprout from his grave as a sign of peace. So on March 14, 1963, he, uh, Fager, Fager, I'm probably saying his name wrong, Fager sat in all-night vigil with Roman Catholic priests between 4 to 5 in the morning of March 15th. Fager was given new suits for his execution. Two guards escorted the execu to the execution room, and he was executed by hanging. hanging. The witness, by the way, the intro music to this is actually supposed to be the sound of somebody hanging. I don't know if you could tell that or not, but I'm going to go with that instead of my regular one for Chuck Stop Murder. The witness is exclusive associate press journalist and John Illy, a member of the Iowa House Rep Representatives, who is witnessing the execution, reinforced the opposition uh, to the death penalty. Well, anyhow, and there's a bunch of other stuff here about it but he was given a different suit and not, nothing was stated about if the olive was put in his pocket but they did find the olive in his pocket and to this day where he was buried at no olive tree ever sprouted from there so okay so our last comeback of the day is Thomas J. Grassi, Grasso Thomas J. Grasso was a 30 year old male double ex murderer executed by lethal ejection in a whole else Ohio State Penitentiary in McAllister, Iowa. He strangled Hilda Johnson, an 87-year-old woman, using her Christmas tree lights on December 24, 1990, in, Tulsa, in her Tulsa home. He stole $8 from her purse four do and $4 in loose change and her television set worth $125, so really not much. Six months later, after moving to New York with his wife, Lana, he murdered Leslie Holtz, an 81-year-old man from Staten Island, on July 4th, 1991, stealing his Social Security check, which probably was not that much. Uh, always no petty thief that ends up in murder. So New York, the rest in conviction, New York detectives investigating the murder of Leslie Holtz arrested Grasso, and within two weeks, he had confessed to police. He first told investigators about the Staten Island killing, then about the murder of Hilda Johnson. Grasso pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 20 years to life on April 21, 1992. The New York 
the legislature had passed legislation leg, legis, passed that it would have restored the state's death penalty, but Governor Hugh, Hugh Carey and Mario Como, Mario Como, who were both morally opposed to the death penalty, voted against legislation. And so that's what happened in New York. But keep in mind in Iowa. So Grasso's case became an issue in George in the governmental campaign, the George E. Pataki's campaign. And 11 days after Pataki took office, Grasso was extradited, fulfilling the new governor's campaign pledge. So signed the agreement that allowed Oklahoma correctional officers to take custody of Grasso at Buffalo International Airport. Prisoner officials escorted him on a commercial flight to the state penitentiary at McAllister via you know, by through Tulsa on January 11, 1995. Grasso spent his last days on the, n the normal prison schedule, confined for 23 hours a day to his 14 by 18 foot cell in prison's death row. He shared, uh, he shared it with 49 other condemned men. He was allowed one hour a day to exercise. So, on, um, on his final day, the day before execution, Grasso released four statements to the press. The first at 3 p.m. read, what we, are, what we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to m make a beginning. So I'm not going to go over. This is about their last meal. He had a lot of stay, and you know, he, he had a lot to talk about. But what we're going to get to is the last meal. What was his last meal? Grasso's, because this is... Monday murder meal, not last statement. But anyhow, this is what his last meal was. Grasso's last meal was two dozen steamed mussels, two dozen steamed clams flavored by a wedge of lemon, a double cheeseburger from Burger King, a half dozen barbecue spare ribs, two strawberry milkshakes, one half of a pumpkin pie with whipped cream, diced strawberries, and he requested a can of SpaghettiOs with meatballs. Even though his last words and his last words, he claimed the kitchen did not honor his request. He said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. So he was executed just before 1 a.m. on March 20th, 1995, not getting his SpaghettiOs. Poor boy. But anyhow, hopefully struggle through my much mouth and babbling on uh, these certain words. I don't know why I can't speak or say. But anyhow, thank you for dealing with me, and as always, every Monday I'm going to try to do three murder, money murder meals, three convicted inmates who were executed by the United States, and their last meal. And if you enjoy this, thank you, and as always, you can't fix stupid, but you can sure numb it with a 2x4. I'm out of here.